0: hello another day in quarantine um this is real sun car hours real sun car hours um follow us at sun car hours on twitter this is adam hudson follow me at adam hudson five on twitter
1: and this is peter m gun follow me at m gun peter the fun never stops when you're six feet away from everyone um it's been a uh... This week feels like it's gone by. It's taken forever. I don't yeah.
0: Know. Yeah. I mean...
1: Time, time Time is weird. I think I said that last time, but... Yeah. It is not moving linearly.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's... So, it's the first day of April. April 1st, and March felt like okay. a year.
1: Yeah. Time to pay that rent.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, I actually want to... I want to begin by sort of uh, correcting myself from the previous episode because we were the previous episode we talked about the the so-called coronavirus stimulus bill which is basically a wall street uh slush fund a slush fund for corporate america and the big banks um in in the bill uh i said that um part of the bill was an expansion on unemployment benefits and i i credited that to sanders but um Turns out it was uh, Michael Bennett, and I think Chuck Schumer, but uh, mostly Michael Bennett, who...
1: Michael Bennett.
0: Yeah, Senator Michael Bennett, he was the one who inserted the uh, unemployment benefits um, part in the bill. And and the reason why I want to kind of bring that up is because I was thinking about the previous episode. And I think I should have been a little more harsh on Bernie Sanders because there is that speech he did about basically... I think trying to prevent the Republicans from cutting unemployment benefits in the bill, but it's like, you know, most of that was largely theater because just from listening to people like David Dane and Matt Stoller's, like the unemployment benefits were most likely going to be passed anyway. So, you know, it seemed like Bernie Sanders was taking credit for something that he didn't really put in the bill. But I think I really I do. There's been I think some legitimate criticism of Sanders, uh, visa regarding the bill, and I do think that um, he uh, like there should have been a split in the bill between the unemployment benefits and the payouts on one hand versus the bulk of the bailout, which was this massive just slush fund yeah uh, for corporate America so I think the bill it should have been split up. There's no reason yeah. for the two things to be put in the same bill.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point um because Republicans do that shit all the time They're just like no, we'll just we'll just pass it piecemeal or whatever and if the demo well it's not if the Democrats are smart if they care I don't they do I mean the Democrats do what they do, which is not anything which is like the bare minimum they can get away with in public. And right
0: too. right and and bernie sanders like i uh um you know i was thinking about this just before we were recording um i i think you know we're in deep shit right now i mean it's kind of obvious but i i really really want to emphasize like did that statement that so-called stimulus really again is a wall street corporate slush fund um just trillions of dollars being funneled into the coffers of the big banks and a massive bailouts for large corporations you know we're in deep shit when it comes to the economic fallout from this pandemic on top of the really increasingly horrific and tragic medical and human fallout of this pandemic just more and more people dying and getting cases of, of coronavirus and also a large numbers of people dying because they they can't pay they have no health insurance like they you know health our healthcare system is unaffordable for so many people. And as a result, people are people who are getting coronavirus are dying as a result. Um, And, you know, given how much deep shit we're in the bill, the bill that got passed, um, I was looking into it. Even the, the SoCal payments that everyone's supposed to get, which is probably, probably for four months, $1,200 for every month. Um, we're not even sure when we're gonna get it. I was looking it up because I was looking. I, I look, if the government's gonna give me twelve hundred dollars, I'll take it. Okay, I I have no shame. Uh, but I don't know when I'm gonna get it, and most people don't know when yeah. they're gonna get it. So um, one
1: of the things is they're basically going by your twenty nineteen or twenty eighteen tax returns. So if you haven't yeah. done your taxes this year, especially if you're like me and didn't do them last year, um. <laughs> Then do them really do them like now, um, get the, get that in, and then I think what they're going to try to do is if they, it's a little bit creepy when you think about it, but yeah, if they have your like direct deposit information in the tax return, so put that yeah. in when you're filing your taxes. If you, assuming you're getting a refund, I'm not, um, which <laughs> is insane, um, but yeah, do that and. They're supposedly at some point just going to like, you know, direct, direct deposit it right into your account. Um, that's the easiest way to take care of it. But yeah, it'll take a while. I mean, yeah. like, as long as they get it in, I guess before the RNC, right? I don't
0: know. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the latest, it could take months. Um, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said it would take like maybe three weeks. But it's like given given so many people are out of work um there's a real urgency there's a real urgency in in knowing like you know if you're really desperate when the fuck are you gonna get that check because your life depends on it your livelihood depends on a check like that And 1200 dollars isn't shit because it'll still get taxed and still go right back to the federal government and also there there is no national rent and mortgage freeze because so what good is a check on a, a 1200 hundred dollar check which is Twelve hundred dollars won't even pay rent in the Bay Area, so there's that. So, um, what good is a twelve hundred dollar check for maybe four months when there is no rent and mortgage fr- freeze? So, given like, I-, I think what really happened with this bill is that they were trying to take advantage of the crisis of of the of uh, coronavirus which is basically, you know, the shock doctrine, take advantage of that crisis to put forward this massive, massive um, bailout, which is um, incredibly outrageous. Um, And so the reason why, you know, yeah, the scale of the crisis and the protections that were given to everyday people is just like completely out of balance. Um, But I want to, I I I just want to say that because I think um you know at this point uh given the deep shit that we're in and the crisis that we're in um i think the so quote unquote left to the extent that the left exists in america cause it's not like we have like a socialist left really like you do in you know other parts of the world but to the extent that like this left coalition exists in america um i i think there needs to be some soul searching. And I'm just gonna go out go outright and say it like I, I think we need to stop looking to people like Bernie Sanders and even someone like Alexandria Casio-Cortez as leaders of the left movement because if they're still working within the Democratic Party machine. And you're not we're not gonna get a lot from that strategy. Cause I think like, you know, Peter, you and I were talking a bit before we were recording, but I think, um, um, like I think for the past like decade or so, there's kind of been like the sort of institutional left built, uh, built up, um, you know, the DSA and, and, and other kind of affiliated organizations and the kind of common sort of mantra or, or, i guess the uh we've heard is that the best way to advance progressive ideas and socialist ideas is to work within the democratic party because that's the only game in town and it makes sense but at some point
1: it, it, it makes sense like on its surface like it makes sense if yeah. you don't know any of the broader context and there's still a lot of people who use this pray use this mantra to brand themselves as like serious yeah that question of seriousness is one that really bugs me um because do you have even people who are basically like you know for all intents and purposes they agree with your ideas though they still suffer from this idea that like in order to be serious and get things done a la hillary clinton um you have to work within the system and that's just like it's total fantasy um but i understand why because you know and in someone's left word political evolution right you know they're sort of exposed to the truths and realities of existing capitalist society and they correctly are horrified by them and want to get rid of them but there's a point there's a shift in thinking you know when it goes from okay well this is bad and i'm mad about it and i'm expressing that i'm mad about it to like okay well what are we going to do about it but the dangerous part is that People think that, like, in order to be serious and do things, then that means that, like, they have to compromise, you know. And it's a very individualistic approach, and where, like, you're imagining yourself as someone who could one day um, be running or managing, you know, this in these institutions, these uh, apparatuses, and therefore you already are compromising and triangulating in your own brain before, like, you are even, you know, close to sniffing power. I mean, you're not there. Right. But, you Mm -hmm. know, you like either, like, the self-satisfaction of, like, you know, doing Hollywood or DC, um, Machiavellian, you know, 11-dimensional chess games or, or, I don't (laughs) know, you know, or you just, like, haven't got killed your inner opportunist but the point is that you know from an individual perspective that may not entirely be incorrect in terms of like if there's only one person representing like millions of people who has to you know basically represent those people in the highest levels of power then yeah you have to do that stuff but the problem what people need to get away from so they don't end up in that trap is to stop thinking about things Like, from that managerial perspective and start thinking about it from a revolutionary perspective in the sense that, like, you know, it's not about, like, getting in there and then doing things. Like, it's, you know, you personally, it is about, like, when they, you know, when we all get together and we all, you know, realize our collective strength and demonstrate it, then, like, we are going to do what we want to do and, You know, you have to think about it that way. And that is as serious, if not more serious, an approach to politics than, you know, whatever West Wing shit you think is, like, what what you've been told is, like, what serious politics is. Because serious politics isn't about making deals. It's about power. It's always been and always will be. And people need to get over... Whatever Orwell they read or whatever shit is hanging around in their heads about, oh, well, you know, like, yeah, the left fights for the powerless, but you need power to do that. So they need to be OK with taking power. They need to be OK with wanting the necessary power, you know, to, ex- you know, to achieve these goals and, you know, to understand how to get that collectively, not just you. Not just because you're like the yeah. best, you know, perfect iteration of politics, but it is a collective endeavor.
0: Yeah, and um there's there's a really good interview um Glenn Greenwald did with um True Anon's host uh Liz Franchek that uh I think I'll I'll put I'll put in the show notes, but um um, it, yeah, that was part of what got me thinking and, and it kind of, I thought the interview was good because it, it kind of confirmed some, some things I'd been feeling for a while. And I think, um, are coming even more into fruition now with this pandemic and, um, you know, one, yeah, the left, um, we have, the left has organizations and I don't want to minimize the work of those organizations because i think there are a lot of really good organizations and activist groups that do important work but i think what's missing for again the quote-unquote left that exists in america because and the reason why i say left in those kinds of with those kinds of qualifications is that you know i'm I'm very kind of hesitant to say especially especially on this podcast that like that there is like a real left in America because I'm not sure if there's a real left in the sense of like it's not an organized yeah, it's left becoming there's one, no I think it yeah it's becoming one like there's there's like I think inklings of it there and I think even in our first episode we we're kind of tracing it back to Occupy Wall Street and I'll say this like just reflecting on Occupy Wall Street and Black Lives Matter like after Occupy Wall Street like there was no Post occupy institutions with real power that were built as a, a, in the aftermath of it, and the same with Black Lives Matter, right? Particularly, and this is one of um, you know just to be constructively critical of Black Lives Matter. But one thing I noticed just just reporting on it, not just Black Lives Matter the movement, but but the issue of, of, of police violence is that there was this real um, militant, organic Black militant. Uh, energy that occurred particularly at the height of the ferguson protests, and the other protests that went on in oakland and baltimore um but that energy was not channeled into building institutions that reflect and implement that rage and and those feelings and it was similar with occupy wall street and i think you know to the extent that, that the left in america did anything it was either you know, go into the nonprofit sector, the nonprofit industrial complex sector, or work within the machinery of Democratic Party politics. Yeah. Both of which or, are, are or, flawed, and or I think like
1: people have uh, have fallen in love with the, or they fetishize, or sort of the appearance of protest. Um,
0: yeah 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 and also on top of that like not just like you know that energy being funneled into the nonprofit sector and the democratic party apparatus you know one thing that that Liz mentioned that I thought was I, I, th- I thought she made a really good point is that you know for a lot for decades the left basically just retreated to academia and media yeah so to the extent that there's any kind well, of left, series. Yeah, exactly. To the and to the extent that there's, that there's any left that exists in America, it either exists in academia, and and by the way, like academia is also a pretty conservative institution yeah. as well. Even though like there's a lot yeah, of well, it's you know it's progressive much re-
1: more to the right. And same thing with entertainment yeah. slash arts. I mean, the whatever sort of liberal bastion stereotype was associated with either of those places in the '80s and '90s. That's not how they are now. I mean yeah hollywood is just you know imperial propaganda and like even the oh
0: 100 you know
1: i mean the best you can get is like mark ruffalo and john cusack i mean that's if that that's the leftmost yeah. edge of you know filmmaking compared to uh i mean you know obviously they had to like name and get rid of all the communists in hollywood i mean there were a lot of communist screenwriters and directors and stuff you know back in back in the forties and fifties. And academia has, you know, turned from, you know, like this holdout of uh, the Western tradition of liberal arts. I mean, that's getting demolished in favor of tech education and business school. You know, like bit now you now like undergrad majors in business is like one of the main majors. But there that didn't even exist like twenty years ago, you know
0: no Mm -mm.
1: and yeah and the move towards online and basically how like universities are now also incubators and also obviously the adjunctification i mean like universities Mm -hmm. are just uh your average big state university is a glorified real estate company slash you know computer training program I mean, that's... Yeah, I mean, yeah,
0: they, they they function like, you know, um large corporations. And, you uh, know, as, as someone who has an MFA, like, I do know for a fact that the, the CIA had a pretty big role in creating the American MFA system. For, so there's that crea- as well. It's like, writing.
1: yeah, it's
0: yeah always, for creative writing. So, you know, yeah, so... You know, and th- this is where, the to the extent that there's any left energy that exists in America, that's where it's at. It's in academia, which again is not, you know, like th- th- there is an important role for intellectuals, but intellectuals, in order f- for them to be truly revolutionary, have to have, have to come from an answer to a working class constituency and working and class struggle. But, you know, they'll, for in large part, like you don't really have those kinds of intellectuals in america in a large number i mean there are some and definitely you know in journalism i think they exist but not that many so but my point is that like you know especially when it comes to this moment of crisis that we're in, when it comes to the coronavirus i think those who identify on the left i think have to i think we have to do some very very serious soul searching if we're if we're serious like if we're serious about any kind of progressive to revolutionary change um like i i just think like we we got to tell the truth like the 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 way the left has been trying to do things in america it just has not worked period you know like the left retreating into academia and media and the nonprofit sector and the democratic party machine it has not worked to advance not even just like not even just socialist or communist ideas but even mild progressive social democratic ideas the left really has nothing to show for it in the past 30 to 40 years. And now we're at this point, and this is getting into the the second part of our episode. The, the The end result of like, Hey, let's just work within the democratic party, settle for the lesser of two evils, because that will get us somewhere. I don't know how, but it'll get us somewhere to some sort of progr- pro- progressive vision of the world. The end result is we get someone like Joe Biden. Yeah.
1: Before we get into that, I just want to say like, Thinking about the 80s and the conservative, I hate the phrase conservative revolution. Fucking America loves (laughs) calling everything a revolution except the actual thing. But, you know, (laughs) when basically the Christian right decided to get political and basically when sort of right wing decided the right decided to develop its own media apparatuses, the left was Mm -hmm. horrified, but they never they should have responded 30 years ago like this stuff exactly like the kind of yeah you know left media mm-hmm. ecosystems that are springing up now should have been put in place 30 years ago you know all that you had was yeah. like punk scenes in the 80s to like punk scenes and hip-hop to communicate like any left real left ideas i mean left media outlets now it's like like look i love all my left media outlets whatever but, I mean, none of them have the reach of the fucking Fox News, or the Daily Caller, or any conservative talk radio. I mean, that kind of just, you know, saturation of the airwaves and everything is just something that, I mean, and to be fair, um, there's not as much money, you know. It's it's harder for us to do that yeah. stuff. But, you know, we can't let that stop us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and even, you know, when it comes to black media, like, I kind of, I feel similarly, because, you know, like, in addition to there not being any real effective left politics, there is no real black politics in America, period. Like, Jim Clyburn and the Congressional Black Caucus, like... (laughs) That's not actual black politics in a sense of like you have an independent black voice that can articulate black political demands. And that doesn't kowtow to outside forces or even forces that bleed the black community dry, like corporate America, real estate and other, you know, the prison industrial complex, like those sorts of forces. Um, You know, when you have black elected officials in the Democratic Party, they still have the answer to those institutional forces that work against the collective interests of black people. So it's like, you know, there is no real organized left politics or even organized politics to or to articulate the aspirations of the working class of the most marginalized sectors of this country. And the reason why I said it is because I do think that that's led to the moment that we're in now, the fact that we have no social safety net and that the fact that like people feel some sort of relief just by getting twelve hundred dollar checks for four months that we're not even sure we're going to get yet Like that's where right. we're at and like that's not what is that compared to other countries that have single-payer healthcare systems uh, germany just announced i think like they're given um i think five five thousand euros wow. for freelancers like immediately I, I, germany's I robust
1: social democracy comes at the expense of italy and greece and portugal so, the, yeah no so that's you're right you're country. right no but you make a really good point about how <laughs> like the black black political class is at, is at this point essentially apolitical like there isn't a black politics to be found i mean the, yeah like in the sense of there is no site of contested struggle there's no there's nothing that yeah. is being pushed that can that is going to change anything that can change the lives of black people there's that's what politics is about. That's, like, why yeah. politics happens. And, yeah, it's, it's fundamentally a deal-making grant, you know, writing uh, consulting class. I mean, that's that's basically what it is. There's,
0: um, Yeah, should we get into... So, Let's get into Joe yeah, so Biden. Why we're that's all a... here.
1: Yeah. The, uh, the putrefying... Stultifying, uh, miasmatic. Miez- miez- I'm sorry, I mean, I have been lo- I've been I've been slacking on my vocabulary exercises.
0: M- mummified. Just,
1: uh, just sort of, you know, block, just like spit up of, you know, 40 years of neoliberalism just, uh, just, uh, leering at you. I mean, it's just, it's just dis- disgusting. It's horrifying. It 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 gives me like the worst feelings thinking about this man. Of course, uh, Barack Obama's best friend, Joseph R. Biden.
0: Yeah, um, senator from Delaware, and just to kind of paraphrase something that Felix Biederman has said on Chapo that I think accurately describes Joe Biden's career: just basically a bag man for the credit card industry. So. If if you if you hate credit cards especially the the fucking interest you have to pay on credit cards and if you hate the fact that you can't declare bankruptcy on your student loan debt you can blame Joe Biden for that. Because hit uh god where, where should we god where should we where where the fuck should we start with Joe Biden? <laughs> it's just like there's so much shit to talk about him. corn pop. Yeah, let's
1: start with uh you know, his, his best Dixiecrat friends.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So Joe Biden. Um, okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll tee it up in this way. Um, you know, a lot of, I've been hearing, seeing a lot of liberals. I don't want to get too much into Twitter drama on this, on this podcast, but I've, I've been seeing just some shit on social media from liberals that like yeah, Joe Biden is, like, an ally of black people, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's this idea that, oh, because um, Joe Biden was Obama's vice president, and, you know, Joe Biden has a black friend in Obama, like, it's this idea, like, oh, he, he's a white man, but he's, like, down with the Negroes. Like, he's, like, a Negro whisperer. He, he, he just He just likes black. I remember- it's like the it's like the Clintons, like yeah, Hillary Clinton. She's she's white. She's a white woman, but like you know, she's got some black in her. Okay, like she's just she's just down with black people. It's yeah. so like Bill Clinton, like he played the saxophone. and He was raised by a single yeah, mother. He's you know, just whatever. down with black I love people. Toni
1: Morrison, but uh, that was pretty vile. She should never. She never oh terrible. Ever yeah, Clinton, the first black president. That was that was nuts. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I still. Think about uh, during the 2012 campaign, Joe Biden is like stumping and he's like talking to a black church and he's just like, and Mitt Romney said they're gonna. He got the fucking southern preacher voice down pat. And Mitt Romney said they're gonna unchain Wall Street. They're gonna put y'all back in chains. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, he he, he tell him he, uh, he he's he's got that uh psychopathic. I mean, he's like the pure psychopathic politician. This is what people don't understand about him, is that he's he's psychopathic in the sense that he can, you know, fake cry in front of people and make you believe that he cares about you, when he obviously doesn't. Um, he obviously doesn't care about any any people. I mean, it's it's basically like Bulwark, the movie, which I don't like, but was very true about Democratic Party. Is that like... Yeah. So-
0: uh, well, I just wanted like a jump in because um, uh, speaking because you were talking about his you know his friends. Um, so se- segregationist Strom Thurmond um, was a Republican from South Carolina. Strom Thurmond was a you know Dixiecrat, very racist Dixiecrat, who had a black daughter, by the way. Um, so uh, he-, he was one of those southern democrats who switched to the Repu to the republican party during uh nix Nick- as a result of nixon's southern strategy in the mid-60s after the democratic party went pro-civil rights under lyndon johnson um so joe biden considered uh strom thurman a friend he said so at strom thurman's uh funeral funeral so and, but but um you know joe biden when he was um uh, i think he was uh uh he, yeah he was a congressman in delaware at the time um i, I, believe, he was I believe only yeah. ever like a he, senator
1: i don't think he ever was representative
0: okay okay yeah so yeah so um in De- yeah so senator basically he got his career his political career um actually hold on let me let me get the yeah so joe biden he was uh well anyway nineteen seventy five i'm i'm quoting from a uh an n b c article but basically this is one of the points that uh, kamala harris um criticized joe biden for uh yeah he yeah you're right he was he was senator not congressman okay yeah so he's been senator of delaware since the early seventies um he uh he 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 opposed um federally mandated, uh, school busing to desegregate schools. So it's part of the post-civil rights, um, agenda to desegregate, um, busing, you know, uh, black students to white schools and vice versa to, to, you know, make schools more diverse and desegregate, um, Joe Biden opposed federally mandated plans to uh, uh, bus students as part of desegregation. So this is from the NBC article and it says um, in 1975, Biden was representing a state where one of the first major urban school desegreg- desegregation plans had been ordered by a court. Most white parents in the Wilmington area were angry. In response, Biden spot- sponsored not just the bill limiting court's power, but also an amendment to an appropriations bill that barred the federal government from withholding funding from schools that remain effectively segregated. So it wasn't just that Biden opposed busing. He went even further to placate the racist fears of a lot of suburban whites who were opposed to busing. And the amendment was co-sponsored by Strom Thurmond, um, a senator from south carolina at the time so this whole this idea like biden has some negro in him or something or whatever the fuck because he was obama's vice president well this guy basically got his start working with um former dixiecrats to oppose bussing this is early in Biden's yeah, yeah, career. yeah that's
1: like him making a statement right because that's the whole thing when you're like a young senator or whatever you gotta like get out in front of an issue and let you know like he did it for his own personal political gain it wasn't even like it's not really like he was responding to a constituency or whatever because like i mean busing went on you know through the 80s and 90s i mean pretty sure my school district was bused um but they uh but he he wanted he was in it for the love this is the whole thing about biden is that he does, he makes a point of like being the right-wing democrat and it's just like for the love of the game he just likes doing it. He's almost a contrarian or something.
0: Yeah, and this is um and you can definitely see a through line from his uh his opposition to bussing. And ba- I wouldn't even say opposition to bussing, but he was basically on the opposite end of desegregation efforts um you can taste a through line from that to him authoring the 1994 crime bill which exploded the prison system and there is a version of the bill that was essentially so right-wing that um he had like it was it was too conservative even for some of the republicans at the time and he had to water it down so um and and again bernie sanders he voted for that bill but that was because the um there was the violent just uh, d- it was a defensive violence there against there's women a act. I forgot there we go yeah sorry I, I forgot the name of it but yeah there was a the violence against women act to um defend women against sexual assault that part of the bill that part was in the bill so bernie sanders voted for the 94 crime bill as basically because he didn't want to oppose that section of it um so my point is that you can trace a through line from biden opposing busting and desegregation efforts to his um very aggressive uh draconian efforts to explode the prison system and his authorship of the 1994 crime bill and at the time like there was a lot of anti-black sentiment particularly anti-black male sentiment in the context of the war on drugs and rhetoric of crime v- very similar in the sense that a lot of anti-muslim sentiment post 9-11 was couched in the la- and still is couched in a language of uh, terrorism um a lot of anti-black sentiment in the 90s was crouched was couched in basically um anti-crime rhetoric and you can even see like right now with uh, coronavirus a lot of anti-asian racism being couched uh in in, in terms of public health reasons like like th- there is there has been a huge like um there's been an, a i think a notable up uptick in hate crimes against asians because of uh, you know Anti-China sentiment, anti-Asian there, there's sentiment. they're just scene. all Mark Wahlberg. Yeah.
1: Cool.
0: <laughs> for those of you who don't know, uh, yeah, look up Mark Wahlberg at him beating up Asian people when he he was a young piece of shit. Um. Anyway, so yeah, this is that's for people who don't know the reference. Um. Yeah. So, uh, Biden opposed desegregation. Um. He supported the I mean, he wrote the 94 Crime Bill and then also uh
1: and on top of that just a huge drug warrior
0: yeah major um i think he was um i think there was some speech i'm trying to remember where he was uh against having rave parties do you remember that peter uh i don't know about about the
1: speech but he was big into criminalizing rave parties and also MDMA. yeah um which, of course, now they're doing, you know, a lot of research on, and it's like, oh, it actually it turns out it has therapeutic benefits, especially for, like, people with PTSD and stuff, you know. It's true about a lot of those drugs where it's like, yeah, you didn't even get a chance to study them because the move to criminalize them was so quick. Um, yeah, he's he's he really is against, like, everything fun um, and interesting. And I it's very strange to me like, whenever I watch him speak and he like, sort of like, waxes on you know, Rhapsodic about I guess this in imagined 50s version of America that he really seems to personify, because it's like like, first like, aside from the fact that like, that vision was only a blip on the historical map and horrendously incomplete it is also just like it really feels like from another millennium. I mean like what is like I don't even I feel like even the boomers don't even think about the 50s like that anymore. Like who is he talking to?
0: <laughs> there there's the uh intercept article. This I think this should help con- uh, contextualize my point, but there's an intercept article by David Stein. The untold story: Joe Biden pushed Reagan to ramp up incarceration, not the not the other way around. So like yeah joe biden was a major drug warrior and he helped i mean according to this article anyway uh he pushed he, w- he was the one who helped push reagan to ramp up the the prison state so um you know when it when it comes to his stance on M- uh, mdma and raves um uh, you can see that here um Let's see, what what else should we... T- uh I think, how much time do we have left? Um, so I want to be mindful of time. Uh, <laughs> we're at like 35 minutes. Yeah,
1: now that now that we only have 10 hours a month, we have to actually watch this shit. um I want to... Yeah, I think we should get into uh, some of the foreign policy stuff. Because yeah, that really yeah, totally, gets uh, glossed over. Um, and it yeah, really yeah.
0: Yeah, why, why don't you uh, go in on that? I've been talking enough, um, so...
1: Yeah, well, Biden is obviously like a huge imperialist obviously enthusiastic enthusiastic supporter of the iraq war um really really putting the work to make that thing happen so uh you know a million iraqis thank you um joe but others but he also is just like like when i'm say when i say that like he really is about that life i mean he was like out in front of a lot of things like uh he wanted to send troops to Darfur in 2007. If you remember like all the uh, invisible children stuff um, when like, and it was like all the, you know, stuff about the, uh, the genocide going on by the Sudanese government in Darfur, which was heavily, I mean, the coverage of it was heavily politicized, but I'm not going to get into all that, but wanting to send,
0: um, just, oh. sorry, just, just a quick note uh, for those of you who are familiar with the that Coney twenty twelve thing. That was that was the Oh, but they started. Yeah, out. They started out. But you're right, Invisible Children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My point is that like Coney twenty twelve was sort of like a, I guess you could say a a, a descendant yeah. of that. Well, kind yeah. Of Darfur yeah.
1: was I, like sort of the sort of nonprofit industrial complexes is, is really when it shined. I think. Um, There was it was one of the it was like back in the two thousands when it was like if you like cared about the world you were concerned about Darfur. Um, He wanted to send U.S. troops there, which is like a completely insane idea that for us to like just straight up invade an African country like that. Um, He he uh, he was big in the nineteen ninety nine bombing of Serbia, which is admittedly something bernie sanders supporters voted for um i want to be very clear about what happened because i actually have a co-worker who lived through this because he's from serbia and like what it was was basically sort of this astroturfed uh, separatist campaign in kosovo which was like all the way on the other side of the country but they bombed belgrade which is the capital of serbia with depleted uranium um which is a radioactive material and you know sort of like cancer rates are spiked there for like generations i mean it was really like an indefensible thing um that it, but it was the 90s and you could just kind of get off get away with uh um you know just bombing people he supported the falkland islands war which is like god this guy's been around for fucking ever dude Um, Falkland Islands was basically Margaret Thatcher's picking a fight with, uh, at that point, the right wing dictatorship of Argentina over some islands in the Atlantic Ocean that the British Empire still laid claim to. And it was a lot of like, uh, revanchist British Empire lovers, um, you know, getting all whooped up for, uh, basically. So I think Margaret Thatcher could win re election, um, He's big on, he was big into expanding NATO, which is the main culprit for why, you know, relations with Russia have deteriorated so much. I know there are a lot of people who don't care about things like this because they like their stupid spy, fan- spy novel fantasy where Russia is just always innately evil. But really the situation was that after the Soviet Union fell, Um, The U.S., you know, told, assured Russia, though they never wrote it down, um, that they would not expand NATO because NATO only existed basically to keep the Soviet Union, quote-unquote, in check. Um, And so, and you know, I mean, its main function is to ensure, is to enshrine American military presence in Europe. Um, But purportedly after the fall of the soviet union there would be no need for nato so certainly expanding nato certainly expanding nato into former soviet bloc countries is an unquestionable was an unquestionably aggressive move and it's the big re and it's a big reason why like putin is the way acts the way he does um in the sense of like it's impossible to understand the u.s as like a rational actor who like doesn't have you know another imperial agenda. Um, he uh. Supposedly he posed the bombing of Libya. I don't know how much I believe that. He didn't certainly didn't do much. Um,
0: yeah, I think when it came to Libya, I think, well, it was really hillary clinton and and susan rice who pushed for it but um yeah i don't think i don't joe biden as far as i remember from that time uh wasn't really like he wasn't really a major opponent of the of the because even within the obama administration like there were some disagreements about how to handle uh libya and intervention there but i think the ones within those discussions um was mostly hillary clinton and uh susan yeah, rice he, but he um, he's I,
1: all in all on board for uh you know arming the uh jihadi syrian rebels to the teeth and even like in the last debate i saw he was talking about breaking up syria which is like look i however you fall on the syrian you know on the syrian civil war i think like I think I hope that everyone can understand that like partitioning a country is like not good for that country um that like that's not like like that only ever serves imperial goals um
0: yeah and 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 to be fair like you know I um I I don't I don't I don't want to I don't want to paint all rebel factions as Jihadi in Syria, because no, I think that the situation's but, more but, complicated. But the worst but,
1: ones, he had no problem. I mean, he right, he had no yeah. problem. Uh, uh sent, get, arming to the teeth.
0: Yeah, I just, I just don't want to paint like all, all the so rebel forces with a broad for brush.
1: Minutes, it'll, it'll,
0: yeah, but yeah, Syria a whole, like, but, but a I, whole complicated but I, can of I worms. Just but.
1: Want, I just want people to understand that like partitioning Syria is bad.
0: Uh, yeah yeah i i yeah protesting syria yeah i don't i don't see how that would i don't see how that would benefit syria or the larger uh, region
1: he goes above and beyond for america's greatest ally in the middle east um israel he's 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 really putting the work there um taking even taking part in APAC's annual membership drive, at one such speech, he urged the audience to pressure lawmakers to make pro-Israel policy, and said that Americans cannot afford to publicly criticize Israel. Um. He, yeah, uh, but you know, the other big thing, which is a little more your forte, is his enthusiastic support of Obama's drone program, right?
0: yeah i'll yeah so the drone thing um that's something that's one of the issues that i've been writing about for years and um uh i'll, I'll try to give like a reader's digest sort of assessment We can probably record uh on this subject on another episode because it goes really really deep but um I think there is this well, the kind of conventional wisdom about the Obama years when it came to foreign policy is that he was uh, he was a peacenick compared to Bush, which is not true. Um, I mean, Bush's foreign policy was largely marked by invading Iraq and a massive military occupation of Iraq for much of his much of his uh, two terms and obama when he campaigned you know he made a big deal that he opposed the iraq war but he also said like i'm not opposed to all wars i'm opposed to dumb wars so he all, obama also supported the uh, war in afghanistan it, I, I was gonna um, say
1: i think the most liberal thing imaginable is the concept of a smart war
0: and so this was this is the, the whole smart war that's why obama you can see that with obama's embrace of uh drone strikes and it's not even just drone strikes it's really a large targeted killing slash assassination program drone strikes are just a weapons platform to carry out the policy which is targeted killing and assassination in u.s foreign policy goes back decades even during the cold war i mean so so um patrice lumumba was um assassinated by belgian forces with uh, cooperation by the cia um you know and and also like when we if you've seen the show narcos on netflix um you know the show does talk about like us DE, dea presence but there is also um there were also like u.s special operations forces um in Colombia at the time and i think uh, i was reading um uh andrew coburn's book on on targeted killing and it's possible that the person, like no one really knows, like who exactly pulled the trigger that that killed uh, Pablo Escobar. But one likely explanation I've heard is that the the person who actually pulled the trigger was probably a Delta a Delta Force sniper. So, um, basic basically, Obama embraced using essentially basically like a kind of light footprint when it came to U.S. militarism. So drone strikes, airstrikes, cruise missile attacks. Um, And he really fell in love with uh, JSOC, Joint Special Operations Command. There's sort of like, um, within the U.S. military, there are conventional forces, and then there are um, what you would say like a kind of secretive paramilitary section of of the U.S. military. So U.S. Navy SEALs, the ones who killed Bin Laden, um, those are special operations forces. Basically, special operations forces are meant to do very secretive cl- classified risky deadly operations um with plausible deniability that's the point these missions are supposed to be secret because the reason why is because They're gross if something goes wrong well it, not even just gross violence violations of sovereignty like they can it allows them to get away with things that are far more extreme than even what the u.s military is willing to do things like torture targeted killing and and stuff like that so the idea of plausible deniability is it provides a layer of secrecy to protect those those essentially crimes right so um so obama embraced that approach when it came to foreign policy and really if you could summarize obama's foreign policy in one word i would say that word is assassination like he just became like the assassination in chief assassinator Air Tuesdays, in
1: chief right
0: yeah so he had a massive kill list which were obama and his his counterterrorism officials would basically decide like okay um who, who's a terrorist and who's not and the details of how they determine who's a terrorist and who's not is like Military uh, uh, like like incredibly fishy standards where um it would loop in people who are uh at best, very, very tangentially related to any specific terrorist organization. um So that was the. That's just in a nutshell. Again, like I think that could be deserving of another, another yeah. episode. I can I can go really in yeah. depth I mean, on that. But my point.
1: bragged about it at that one correspondence dinner where he was like,
0: "Yeah." It, and my my point is that like, for you know Joe Biden, he embraced that approach. And to be fair. I'm gonna be honest, and and look, some Sanders supporters are probably not gonna like me saying this, but Sanders really isn't that much better when it comes to drone strikes either. Like even Bernie Sanders said that he, you know he would be willing to use drone strikes if necessary. Like he didn't he didn't really call out the policy of um, of assassination, and because that because Obama institutionalized assassination so well, Donald Trump has put it put it, it, it rounded it up even more. Oh, yeah. Right. So. So, you know, like, there have been more drone strikes and killings yeah. under Yeah, Trump I mean, every, every Obama. single
1: uh, liberal who was, like, shocked and outraged at Trump killing Qasem Soleimani, I mean, he got, he, you know, that whole system was put in place by Obama. I
0: mean, yeah, yeah, Obama really, Ob- I mean, like, assassination, again, has yeah, been in U.S. foreign he, policy he, for he, generations. He
1: but... the idea of, like, yeah, no, if, a drone strike can just kill someone and if they and if we killed them they probably deserved it, you know.
0: Yeah, and and oftentimes people who are killed by drone strikes were proven innocent um, after death. So uh but but the point is that like, yeah, Obama the Obama years when it came to foreign policy, one of the things that really marked it in a bad way was institutionalizing and making more efficient the policy of assassination and targeted killing and joe biden was right alongside with obama doing that so that's a really bad thing you know uh if you care about foreign policy and and want to see an end to endless war biden is not your guy and to be completely honest and this has been one of my main sticking points with bernie sanders and i i kind of wish that more segments of the left pushed sanders on this even when it comes to anti-war issues, Bernie Sanders is not an anti-war candidate. Like there, there is no like, I can, I can go really into this. I don't. I, I'm gonna try to not to go on a, on a long tangent on this, but this is something that really frustrates me because I I've, I've I've been to Guantanamo. But I've been writing about these issues for years. Is that um, there really is no actual anti-war candidate or anti-war force in progressive politics? Um. So Biden's clearly not it, and to be honest, Bernie Sanders is not it. Um, but, but yeah, that's, you know, the drone strike thing is a, is a major mark on Biden, Biden's foreign policy record. But as Peter is laying out, like it's pretty much in context with who Biden is as a yeah. major proponent, major proponent of military interventionism, um, you know, going, going and back decades.
1: Surveillance. That. Oh surveillance, yeah. Yeah. the police, All the, all the, all the greatest hits. Joe Biden was right there. Which is actually like, this is, this sort of coheres around my central thesis about Biden and why I think he's such a, like, why he's so representative. Because it is like, if you think about where the country was like 50 years ago in 1970 and all the convulsions and changes that it's gone through, you know, it's a completely different country now, but somehow through it all, Joe Biden has uh been able to weather the storm of you know not getting kicked out of the patrician class i mean he really is like the utmost like representation of a white male patrician deal-making class i mean that is his whole that is his literally his whole campaign strategy is just like yeah i'll just i'll just get the republicans in the back room you know like he wants to bring back the smoke filled rooms or whatever and we'll hammer something out and Oh, then we'll go home and have a drink and, you know, fuck our mistresses or whatever. Um, that's, that's...
0: I want, sorry, I, I, sorry, I just wanted to, I just wanted to make a quick addendum to the, to the crime thing, but, uh, I I think I may have, um, I want to look into more details about the 94 crime bill, but I think, like, the, the, the part I meant about, like, uh, him being too extreme for Republicans, um, I think that applies more to the '80s because I was re- I was reading this article about like how Biden basically influenced Reagan, but basically, essentially, the the whole Biden being very conservative in the '80s, he was more to the right of Reagan when it came to the drug war in the early '80s, and so Reagan became more conservative and harsh on the drug war with the influence of people like. Joe Biden, who at the time, I mean, he was he was a Democrat. So, you, you know, this ties into what we're saying that, like, like J- J- Joe Biden's fucking bad. Like, let's just it, that's just it. But it's, anyway, not, it's sorry. not just it, that keep he's going. a bad
1: person; it's that he fundamentally <laughs> represents like the inability of America to change and to adapt. Yeah. I mean, to put this man, you know, as the head of the country. After you know he's tried he ran of course he ran for president like three times eight shit um notoriously one time because he plagiarized a speech from a labor from like a uk labor MP um yeah just just above and beyond psychopathy shit um but just like thinking about the idea that this is this guy like he doesn't represent any he represents of course a return to the old pat the old to normalcy or whatever that's 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 what they want you to think but it's it's a little bit deeper in the sense of like he represents like uh like the stultifying just like dying nature of the american political class i mean it's it just feel it just drains all the blood from your body to think about like no, that, yeah, no, this guy, he, uh, no, we're, yeah, we're gonna go with him. I mean, as a, you know, even if Bernie Sanders is older than him, like, Bernie Sanders' political ascent was a product of, you know, movements and generational shifts or whatever. This, Biden is the opposite of that. He's literally the last person they have on the bench. And they're, you know, so they're rolling him out because they don't, because the Democrats literally have nobody else, um, at that level. And, uh, And, you know, even if he wins, which he most likely won't, I mean, they're not prepared for what comes after, which is going to be much more horrifying than Trump. You know, I'm talking about Tom Cotton, Josh Hawley, like these these guys are those guys are the real ghouls. They're not idiots. I mean, they're HYP. I mean, they're they're, both are like have degrees from Harvard Law, which is not to say that they're super smart, but it does say that they're very ingratiated within the Washington, within the D.C. sort of mindset slash cohort. They know how to move in those spaces. And so they know how to get things done more effectively. And the Democrats have no answer to that. They have nothing on the horizon that can remotely mount that challenge. And all of these MSNBC-watching people who want to condescend to any of us about how serious they are about politics have no answers for that. Hmm. So until... No, which they won't. They won't ever because the Democratic Party can't is ontologically incapable of mounting that kind of challenge. I mean, they literally just can't do it. It's not even like even if they wanted to do wanted to like just all the mechanisms that are in place, all the uh, all the earmarks, all the money that's been spoken for. It just can't flow in that direction. So. Like you know biden is like the last thing you see before you die that's how i feel about it
0: yeah and um to go off of that um like like we were talking about before we recorded um much of this election and much of honestly since um trump got elected much of the progressive energy for the last four years, has not been on advancing any kind of progressive or social democratic or socialist ideas. It has not been even to, like, you know, try try to vision for what a just society and a better society could look like. Like, that is not what's marked the past four years in terms of progressive energy, liberal progressive energy, whatever you want to call it. Most of the energy seems to, to have been on how do we get rid of trump and how do we mitigate the damage of trump it's, it's always been about that and i feel like it's been similar it was similar to the bush years which was the bushers were just it was like okay uh bush is really evil he's fucked up um how do we how do we get rid of bush uh how do we mitigate the damage of bush and we john Kerry lost uh, and then uh, you know the worst we, possible oh, but,
1: the most boring uninspiring person ever and they lost and it's what democrats do and what they'll continue to do at this point it's a demonstrated pattern it's not an accident they do this on purpose
0: yeah yeah and and also like so 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 when it comes to trump it's like I i think people are like the progressives have been even on an even even bigger kind of like triage mode because i think because trump is such he's a very odious figure he's because he's incredibly
1: Represent a complete break with the system that's what people don't understand
0: right no he's not a complete break with the system at all even as i like when i was talking about drone strikes like he's not like he's continuing what obama did just ramped it up more but he's not a he's not a break from the american foreign policy consensus when it comes to endless war so so as as harsh and brutish and mean-spirited and as trump is he still represents establishment interest, yeah. establishment political and economic interests. So I think, like, like what we've been hearing, and I think particularly with the 2020 election, I think what's marked it is that people are wondering, people have been wondering who can defeat Donald Trump. Like that's where, like, the center of gravity has been for this election. And I think at this moment, I, I, I don't think that's, the, I don't I, think that's I, a real I also crisis. Just I think that
1: say that like the moment yeah. the Democrats made that. The question, they already lost. Yeah, the mo- the yeah. moment they thought, the moment they framed it as, we just need some guy to get this guy out of here, and that's all that matters. The moment they did that, they already lost.
0: Yeah, and like, look at the past four years with the RussiaGate stuff, which which basically ended up like nothing. Like we've been hearing nonstop coverage with RussiaGate stuff, and and that's why, personally, and you know, I don't. This is where I kind of depart from some of my liberal and left, left-wing left friends. That When it came to the Russiagate stuff, I just wasn't that concerned about it. It's not that it wasn't an issue, but it's like, compared to all the other issues that Trump is... All the other bad things that Trump could be impeached for, no one really talked about that. Like, no one talked about like the, the bombing of the hospital in Afghani- Afghanistan or the drone strikes or like, any other stuff. It was... <laughs> well, no, it probably isn't because, like... There are so many crimes that are kind of normalized in the executive branch that, like, they don't really become impeachable offenses. But if impeachment was a serious thing, me personally, I think, yeah, assassination uh, should be something a president should be impeached for. But considering that assassination is a normal and, and part and of the system. considering
1: the U.S. has plans to invade the Hague if they ever try to indict anyone from America.
0: Right. The uh, look up, yeah, for those of you who don't know, look up the Hague Invasion Act. That's a real... That was passed by the Bush administration after nine eleven. Hold on, Um, let's
1: see if Joe Biden voted for it. I bet he did.
0: Um, so, you know, the the, most of the center of gravity on like the liberal to left to progressive spectrum has been on defeating Donald Trump, And, and to me, I don't think that's the real crisis. The real crisis is this pandemic. So I think like all that energy that was spent over the past four years on, we just need to get rid of Donald Trump and we'll return to some kind of normalcy. I mean, well, first of all, the normalcy before Donald wow. Trump wasn't that great either. And and secondly, this pandemic is basically making it so any kind of normalcy that anyone wants to return to is probably is not going to happen because the the fallout from this pandemic – like I don't I don't think we 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 truly know how like what are what are going to be the after effects of this pandemic long term Like I think we're just kind of seeing like I think we're we're kind of seeing the beginning of something that could really like radically alter our politics on day to day life in in a way that I don't think we can fully comprehend yet and I and to be honest I don't I I. I'm still figuring it out, so I don't have the answer to this. But my point is that the real crisis when it comes to the 2020 election is not like who can defeat Trump, but really it's who – if you're going to elect a president, who is going to take us through this pandemic? That's the real question. And uh,
1: And, and and uh, Joe
0: Biden is not the one to do that.
1: And once the worst of this is over – there's gonna be more climate there's gonna be climate crises there's there's gonna be non-stop crisis. yeah oh yeah also yeah biden hella voted for it
0: okay so yeah but biden voted for the hague invasion act all right there so that's another reason to not like him but when you look at the pandemic and and think to like think to yourself who is going to be the best candidate to take us through this pandemic and also once we get out of the the worst parts of this pandemic Who's going to help us deal with the climate crisis? Because I think it's fair to say that this that the climates the climate crisis and the pandemic are linked. So who's going to help us deal with that? And and Joe Biden is not it. I'm sorry. And and when people say when people say oh we have to vote for lesser evils, that argument doesn't work. It does just does does not work anymore. Because and also we didn't even get into Tara Reid the woman who came forward and who said that Joe Biden sexually assaulted her. So there's that too. So you have two men who have yeah. records of sexual well, assault. Well,
1: the, uh, I, I, believe, I believe the or take on that was, well, why not just vote for the rapist with the better policies? And that's where yeah. the Democratic Party is at. Um, we're at an hour and three, so I guess we should wrap it up.
0: Yeah. So my, my final... I guess word on this is that, um, well, I think the left needs to get serious about um, detaching itself from Democratic Party politics and Democratic Party entrism and get serious about building real institutions to build power from the ground up to affect change. Um, so I think that, and also when it comes to Joe Biden, he's not the lesser of two evils. We're getting two evils yeah, in this yeah, election. It's,
1: it's not even, no, nah, guys, no. Nah, I'm sorry. It's uh no. It. It's not that situation.
0: No, we're we're and this is and I think the whole like settling for the left or two evils. This is the end result. Is you yeah, get two stop, evils. Stop
1: settling, people. Like like straight up. You know, Democratic Party is like a codependent. Some might say abusive relationship in the sense that they can treat us like total shit and they know we'll never leave. And the only way they'll ever change their behavior is if we leave. But same time, once we make the collective decision to leave and act on our own, it's too late for the democratic party. I mean, there's nothing they, even if they decide to change after that, I mean, it's, we, you know, that's, that's that kind, that's the kind of sort of revolutionary, mentality that happens is when you just decide that, you know, we're done. We're just done. We're just done. We're not doing this. Like once a people collectively decide that they're just not going to do something, you can't make them do it. Um, It really doesn't actually matter, you know, how much, how much violence you use. I mean, they're just you just can't make them do it. Um, And we have to get to that point. And, you know, just if... If you're on the fence or whatever, it's just just think really hard about you know just always think about like having to look at someone for the next four years, right It's like about being on t v It's like like you gotta deal with this, you know our brain i mean I'm sure multiple brain cells have been destroyed, many many brain cells have been destroyed, adapting to a Trump presidency, but you know on some level. There's a sense of, like, we know how this is existing. And, you know, this sort of, you know, apoplectic shrieks from the MSNBC crowd, they will ring increasingly hollow because it's like, you know, the fact that America hasn't completely dissolved yet, you know, seems to undercut their chicken little antics. And America won't just completely dissolve. I don't, when people say Donald Trump represents an existential threat to the Republic, I don't know what they're talking about. Um, It's like, like that, that's not how that, that's not how that shit happens. Like, you know, a system may be past its prime, may be on the way down, but it can keep going for hundreds of years. I mean, it only falls when people organize and make the decision to make it fall, and you know, the only way that's going to happen is, I mean, that's not going to happen with Biden, with anything related to Joe Biden. It's just the idea of like that man, you know, I mean, they, I mean, they'll be running the same scripts, Trump, they, the Republicans are running for Trump and that like, they'll just send him out there with limited television, you know, they'll, can't even imagine like, how he's going to meet world leaders but you know they'll make it work i mean the system is stable enough that they can handle like the chief executive just being uh, you know a fucking idiot i mean that's that's the testament to the american empire like and that's what people that's what people don't understand is they've been propagandized because it's the easiest propaganda trick in the world to focus on the guy at the top and just uh, make him to be the source of every single problem. But, you know, that's not it. And people have to think systematically. And, you know, MSNBC, NPR, uh, New York Times, they're not going to ha- do that. They don't want you to do that. So, you know, like, it's it's a lifelong thing in the sense of, like, you have to constantly re-energize your mind and you have to constantly be reassessing things and rethinking about things in a new way. And it's not easy. It takes actual work, but that's what everyone has to do all the time. Um, you know, until like, we can collectively come to the correct decisions and the I'm not saying the correct decisions are my decisions. What I'm saying is that the correct decisions will be borne out by the results that they bear. Um, and whatever weird shit we thought we were gonna do with the de- Democratic Party is not gonna bear out. So, you know, yeah, gotta dig deep because we don't really have a choice. I mean, like, it's not about like whether or not we're serious in the sense of like, uh, we have to do something. We we can't not do anything. I mean, like, we have to do something. So, you know, whatever you're afraid of, um just gotta get over it i guess you know read uh revolutionary suicide by huey newton that that really helped turn me around and get me straight especially if you're dealing with depression and stuff um politically speaking because that is basically how you have to approach political life
0: yeah and and speaking of uh coronavirus um one thing i want to mention is that joe biden still does not support universal nationalized socialized health care so so even like you know if you're on the fence about
1: easiest layup they were just like if if they pay yeah whatever fucking fucking dude wants 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 this they want to make the left suffer they like it they enjoy it that's that's how they move up in the democratic party is demonstrating their ability to make the left suffer that's
0: the sister soldier yeah yeah and also like you know there there are look like the democratic party i think even more so than the republican party the democratic party has competing um class and political interest the like joe biden represents essentially the the ruling class of the democratic party and all the other candidates are just basically there to placate that system um bernie sanders is you know he he kind of wants to have it both ways he wants to be friends with chuck schumer and joe biden but at the same Uh, time like he still has his base product of the boomer
1: political mentality and i mean yeah he he carried people a long way but he was never going to be the one that can take us all the way
0: right yeah so like you know um you know like there is uh, bernie sanders base at least i will say this like i think represents a you know a genuine multi-racial working class base but the interest of those base of that base can never be reconciled with the petty bourgeois to corporate america base of of the democratic party and i think joe biden is a much more explicit representation that i think the democratic party is actually yeah. being a lot more yeah, he's honest
1: openly counter-revolutionary and that's why yeah we you should have nothing to do with them. um on that note um yeah yeah let's, let's sign off um
0: all right yeah well again if if you're uh you know thinking about this election who to vote for my like my advice if leonard peltier think about that, like <laughs> my advice, uh, think about the COVID-19 and climate change and who you trust to deal with that. Um, and my argument is certainly not Joe Biden. So um, look, it, it, don't feel bad about not voting for Joe Biden. I'm not voting for him. I can't stomach it. He just disgusts me. And in the context of this crisis, like, I can't, I, I, I don't, I'm not voting for someone who is just, just this disgusting and totally the wrong person to deal with this crisis though so, um that's all that's how i feel i'm ending on that note i'm not gonna let anyone vote shame me into voting for biden because i just don't give a shit anymore i mean i i i stopped caring about like the democratic party a long time ago but joe biden's just like wow this is yeah you guys are honest about your ruling class interests i'm done fuck it
1: i honestly stopped to voting for the democrats in 2012 so i've never been much help in that regard um <laughs> yeah. but yeah uh, I think that's all, all we got. Right. Um, yeah. Next time, where we go through some real revolutionary theory by Amilcar Cabral. So, subscribe. Yeah. To get that episode later this yeah. week. Yeah,
0: subscribe. Yeah, subscribe on our Patreon, patreoncom slash Hours. Follow us at Sankar Hours on Twitter, and I believe um, we have our RSS feed. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll put that on social media so you guys can follow us. Follow our RSS feed. I know a couple of you guys have asked, so we're getting that up and running. And um, we're on Spotify. We'll be on iTunes. Um, it's just been taking us a while to get all that straightened out. Um, but yeah, uh, stay safe. Um, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. I also want to say, um, you know, solidarity to the Amazon, Instacart, and Whole Foods workers who are going on strike Um f- Full disclosure, my dad is an amazon uh factory worker, so you know s- salute to my da- uh salute to my dad and also other uh, amazon workers going on strike because um yeah, the crisis is really hitting people working in those industries, so solidarity with them um yeah, take care of each other, stay safe um yeah that's it peace out,
1: yeah.